to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, crisis management, COVID, climate change, emergency management, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free, reach out. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there, and I do respond to everything I get. One quick announcement, I will be speaking at the Continuity Insights Conference in Louisville, Kentucky, April 25th to 27th. Fingers crossed, it'll be in person this year. And if so, maybe I can uh, meet a lot of you and uh, twist a couple of arms and get you to come on the show. For a while now, I talked about being a speaker at the BCI World uh, Virtual Conference 2021, and that I hoped I would be able to get some of those speakers to come on the show and talk about their topics or something uh, relatable. Today is one of those days. I was able to reach out and the speaker agreed to join, and it's her second appearance on the show, believe it or not. I'd like to welcome back to the show on the topic of Here Comes Climate Change, it's all right for BC professionals. Margaret Millett. Margaret, welcome back. Alex, thank you so much for having me back again. I'm looking forward to our chat today. Yeah, and funny enough, it was only a week ago for your first <laughs> appearance, even though the, I know the, sh- the shows will air weeks apart. Right. We actually just spoke and met for the first time last week. <laughs> well, I do hope to meet you in person in Louisville, like Kentucky next year. So fingers crossed that we are able to <laughs> Actually, have a cup of coffee together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really hope it's uh, in person, but uh, who knows with what's going on right now. Yeah. Just in case anybody didn't hear your other episode, which you actually did with Rena Singh on women and resilience, uh, can you take a minute or two and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you. Um, well, as you know, my name is Margaret Millett, and I have been in business continuity for over 25 years. I have primarily worked for financial companies based out of Massachusetts. Um, I had the opportunity to go work uh, boots on the ground in Dublin, Ireland for one of my companies. And then I had a stint out in California working for an e-commerce company and um, also worked for a financial services company here in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I am based today. And I'm currently working for Uber Technologies, Inc., providing them global business continuity services. Um, I do have a passion for the profession. Everyone's like, why have you stayed in this profession? And it's because I felt that it was rewarding for me in my career, and I loved it so much. I started to volunteer. So I have been volunteering in various capacities on local organizational boards. Um, It's a defunct organization now, which was NEDRIX, the Northeast Disaster Recovery Information Exchange. Uh, Got involved with the DRI International, serving on their certification commission for a number of years. Uh, Also was on the first BCI U.S. chapter board, volunteered when I lived in Ireland for their... um, 
their risk and compliance committee and have been involved with various aspects of the BCI, whether it's the GPG of the awards and also now serving with the Women in Resiliency and doing various other things, a lot of mentoring, um, because I think it's a wonderful profession. And I worry that uh, in this day and age of other more glamorous professions like cybersecurity, uh, incident response, that uh, young people are not gonna wanna be involved as much in the profession. So that's why I wanna continue to shout from the mountaintops that this is a wonderful career path for people. I think so too. It's interesting you mentioned you were a certification commissioner. I'm right now a certification commissioner for the Disaster Recovery Institute Canada. Okay. So, so we have some of that. Uh, and I know some of those peers from years ago as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working with them right now. <laughs> Well, let's jump into your topic. I'm really happy uh, that you were able to find some time to come and talk with us today. Um, and it was, here comes climate change. It's all right for BCP uh, professionals. So how about a little bit of um, uh, some historical context? Um, because you talked about that. So to set the stage for what you talked about later on. Sure. Um, you know, I look back on my career, Alex, and, uh, you know, climate change has thrown us a curveball throughout my career. Um, I remember being in Boston, Massachusetts, and this is going back a few years now, about 20 years ago, and there was a severe ice storm that hit the Northeast, and it uh, it impacted so many businesses, and this is before the day and age of everybody having, you know, cell phones and laptops, and basically, it, it brought us to our knees in the capacity in order to provide services, and on top of that, you had employees who were without power for an extended period of time in their homes, as well as impacting the ability of businesses to operate. And then I know years ago, I was supporting um, Japan. I mean, Japan every seven or eight years has a major earthquake or tsunami or something that seems to impact their ability to do business. And my employers have always had a presence in Japan. And then I just start looking you know, at the past few years of how there seem to be more and more of these hitting. And I'm just also gonna talk about you know, the tornado that hit Kentucky this past weekend. Mm. Um, I heard that they are actually trying to go back and, and look at the pattern of how this tornado hit down and that this is also something that's a new phenomenon that it touched. And again, I'm not gonna quote this correctly. I am not a meteorologist, but I heard something on the news where it touched down longer than any other tornado had previously touched the ground. And so that's a new phenomenon that they are looking at because how will tornadoes be impacted next time around? And could this become the new norm for tornadoes? Yes, uh, I, you are correct. I heard the same thing and I just went, oh my goodness. And then yeah. uh, you know, yeah. some of the devastation that we've seen entire, I've got the, have the name of the town on the tip of my tongue, but it's 75% of it is basically wiped out. Right, you know? right. And the thing with tornado, of course, there's really very short warning on that as well. Yes. Yeah. And it, it you know, there are more and more of these uh, bigger tornadoes coming, bigger storms. And you mentioned the ice storm. I remember um, uh, a couple of them in around year 2000, because there was one that was just before it as well, up uh, further north, up in Montreal and Quebec. And yep. I think it went from Boston Earth. all the way up to Montreal, yeah. because it's a straight line almost up to Montreal from Boston. And uh yeah, I mean that was like two weeks of havoc. Yeah, it was terrible. The the yeah. uh, the devastation. I know I was working for a financial institution at the time, and one of the towns um, brought in a locomotive yeah. to power some of the key services, 
And one of the key services was people to be able to get access to their, their bank, you know, and yeah. their money. So the, um, the bank was actually plugged in to a train yeah. <laughs> to get things working. You know, it, who would have thought of anything like that? But it's happening more and more. Well, it's happening more and more. And, uh, you know, we're so dependent on devices and real time that I think that's the other thing that people need to understand. Like I know, for example, last year with COVID-19, there was um, um, a hurricane that went up the East Coast of the United States. And I was talking to somebody that was in Pennsylvania and they said their house lost power. And with COVID, they said they couldn't go to what you would call a normal place to go to charge your phone, like the library or Starbucks, because they weren't allowed in due to COVID. So mm-hmm. it brings a whole nother twist when you're trying to work a natural disaster um, and you're working with the pandemic at the same time. Well, let's take a step back even further, because climate change, uh, to a degree, isn't a new phenomenon, as some people will think it is. Yeah, we've had uh, extinct species, uh, lost, quote, lost cities to um, climate change events. Right. Um, I am a huge history buff. And so I, you know, started to think about this when I was preparing my paper for the BCI world. And I was thinking about how, for example, um, you know, you hear about animals that no longer exist and flowers that no longer exist and and things like that. And, And you I just sit there and I say, how could that be that we we lost an entire species? I know some of it's due to mankind, but some of it I also just think it's that the fact that it got colder, it got warmer, it ran out of food supplies, water supplies, whatever it needed to survive, it is now no longer here. And um, like I'm fascinated with archaeology. So when I hear that they found like, you know, the giant terracotta warriors in China, it's like, how could you have lost these the gigantic statues covered in sand. But, you know, you think about it, okay, I'm not the world's greatest house cleaner, but, you know, if you don't keep cleaning, it's just going to get covered over. And the fact that you know, we as a society continue to find new civilizations, you know, every couple of years. And so for an archaeologist, you know, you would think that like, hey, you know, why get into that profession? But there's still lost cities out there that can be an archaeological find. And I just think about it as, again, you know, these were thriving communities doing very well. They had their own societies. They had their own means of goods and services being transported. But something happened in that region, like Pompeii, Italy. Why then did it go away? Why is this civilization covered? And, you know, you see this throughout the world or that they find these digs. And, and so to me, that also sends to me that climate change has been around for a long, long, long time, you know, starting back with the dinosaurs, because again, how did these animals all of a sudden become extinct? Um, something happened. And so therefore I have to say that climate change has been around for thousands of years. Yeah, I think so too. I, I, and I was watching one of these shows a little while ago that was talking about some of these ruins that you just mentioned and they couldn't figure out why would this ancient city be in the middle of this big desert plain? Yeah. But then they found evidence of an old ancient lake yeah. that has dried up and you know, miles and miles and miles away is uh, what's left of a, a river and a lake. And they, so that they said, you know, some sort of event or climate change or something happened to dry all this up. And that's why this city became dead. Right. So climate change existed, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. Yeah. But that begs the question now then, why the attention now? 
Um, I think it's because it's one, we're in a day and age of media. Um, you know, everything is real time. You find something out today, right this minute, and within a minute, it's going to be out on social media. Um, I think the other thing that's happening is they are happening more frequently. You used to hear this is the phenomenon of something once every hundred years. Now it's once every 10 years, or it's becoming even more frequent than once in every 10 years. And mm. so the fact that these things are happening sooner, uh, more impactful, that I think that's where it's becoming, you know, the heightened awareness. And then the other thing, Alex, is it's one thing to say, like, Texas is getting a, a snowstorm. But the fact that they're getting huge snowstorms um, when they normally don't have it. And then the other thing is some of these communities across the globe are not prepared on how to deal with these. So then when they do get hit, it's the double whammy of it's something bigger than what they would normally have expected to get. And then the devastation because of the event is wreaking havoc on their society where it's impacting their ability to move. Um, and also they've lost services. So that's where I think it's the heightened awareness. And then the other thing is, is of course, you know, we are um, so dependent on services today, meaning we're not, you know, pioneer days where, you know, you just hunkered down and you did well. Um, you know, the fact that you hear then, you know, like the power system is not built to capacity in order to withstand these types of losses. And so then it just starts to get down to dollars and cents, not only for the community, but then it's impacting the people who live in that community. And then the devastation and, the, you know, how to handle this. And then the fact that, you know, we have people who aren't going to be able to survive well during these circumstances. And then how do you as a society help each other out to get through this together? Yeah. And it's not just in um, um, happening in some of our, what would you call it? Uh, most populated areas. It's happening everywhere. You mentioned snowstorms in Texas and Texas is huge. Right. Big snowstorms there, but it's <clears throat> happening even up in the North. Yeah. Uh, in Northern, Northern Canada, um, like the Yukon, Northwest Territories, Nunavut, where the permafrost and, and even in Northern Russia, Siberia is starting to, um, would you, would melt be the right term for? Yeah, no, like melt? one of my, my bucket list trips is to go to Antarctica. And I, when I read that they, like, this huge glacier is now melted, I'm like, oh, maybe I need to move that trip up. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, or, you know, the other thing is, is, um, you know, like I heard this summer, uh, you know, Canada had extreme heat. Um, you know, the, the round July 1st, your Canada day that uh, you had uh, very extreme hot days, which is also kind of unusual for Canada. Not say that you don't get warm days, but, you know, when you, you also just stop and think like, you know, depending on the age of some houses and things, you know, they don't have central air everywhere. Um, I know, like, for example, some of the houses I lived in in the United States, unless you refitted your house, if you live in an older house, you don't have central air. Um, so then when these really extreme days come, you're like, you're feeling it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was um, uh, events uh, up in uh, northern Manitoba a few years ago with some of the climate change events, you know, the hot, cold, hot, cold, you know, they were getting a bunch of rain and the city of Church, I think it's Churchill, um, which is on Hudson's Bay, way up north. Yep. Um, the railway, what was supporting the railway, all the ground because of the melting and all the water just yeah. kind of washed it away and it kind of cut off the city for a while. You know, yeah. that that's never happened because the ground is just solid. It's easy to just lay things on top and go. Yeah. And they couldn't do that anymore. Yeah. So it's impacting, it's literally impacting everywhere. 
Yes. So we're going to move on to um, other considerations now, or what should organizations be considered about? Because you talked about risks and impacts to them, um, them being, as, or sorry, them not being a statistic, I should say, clarify. Well, I think this is where, you know, there needs to be a new look at the business impact analysis or the risk assessment. I'll say the risk assessment, um, because, for example, um, if you already know that your impacts are what I'm going to call your backyard locals, meaning, you know, you have to worry about uh, snowstorms, um, flooding, um, hurricanes, hypothetically. But then all of a sudden you have to now worry that you're you're, you're starting to have earthquakes because you are now feeling the earth move where before you didn't. What do you need to do in order to feel like you are prepared in order to sustain an earthquake hitting your site? Um, do you need to do earthquake training for your employees? Are you in the right building? Um, meaning if it's an older building, is it earthquake proof? Do you need to consider an office move? And then the other thing that I think that needs to get looked at, Alex, is you know really looking at how the risk assessments done, meaning looking at what are your current risk and then what are your future risks that you feel that are happening because of climate change? Because you still want to be prepared for what I call your everyday risk based on where you live, but you want to start and look at those new phenomenons and start and maybe do those as your simulations with your employees to get them prepared because you know how to deal with a snowstorm. It's, it's you know, you've been doing that every year of your life, but you don't do an earthquake every year. So let's get your employees trained for that. And also, I also say, start and look at those risks um, that's outside of climate change that's happening locally in your backyard. Like, for example, are you having construction done? Are you hosting a world event? Um, and I also just think that crisis management needs to have a seat at this table because these events are causing havoc to the employees and to the local area. What do you want to do in order to be a sound employer? Meaning, you know, do you want to give your employees a voucher to a store so that they can go out and buy goods? Um, do you want to provide accommodations for them? These are some key decisions that need to be made in advance and not at the time of the moment. And also just making sure that you're consistent on that approach because you want to do the same thing for your employees, regardless of what city they're in around the world. And the other thing about crisis management that's nice is you have that beauty of doing everything in advance, pre-planning, that's the whole key thing. Mm -hmm. And also letting your employees know what the expectations will be for them to what kind of support they may or may not be able to count on from their employer. And then again, what do you wanna do for your community? Do you wanna make a donation? Do you wanna do a fund driver? Because people are very generous around the globe. And so do you wanna set up a capacity to help the community in need of where your employees exist? It's interesting you mentioned uh, earthquake. Um, I remember uh, I'm in the, you know, I'm an hour west of the greater Toronto area. Earthquake is not a consideration here. We're in the middle of the Canadian shield. There is no fault line anywhere near us. Mm -hmm. However, when I was speaking with uh, colleagues in Vancouver on the West Coast, you know, like California, yeah. there's Columbia, Oregon, Washington, et cetera, all of them, earthquake was a big thing to plan for. So would it still matter if I'm on the Canadian Shield to plan for an earthquake? I would say yes, um, because um, here's here's the reason why also, okay? Um, I remember, um, this is what, 12 years ago, Fukushima? Um, 10 or 12 years ago. Um, so that was in Japan. And I was living and working in California at the time. And the tsunami effect from that was coming to the East Coast, West Coast, excuse me, of the United States. And so there was concern that there were gonna be huge 
tidal waves coming onto the shores of the west coast of the United States, um, all the way up from Vancouver, all the way down to San Diego, and possibly in, even into Mexico. And I remember employees at, at the time I was working for eBay, um, employees were, some employees who lived on the beach were told to evacuate because they were not sure whether they were going to um, have the tidal waves coming. And I do know that um, they did hit, you know, I remember seeing pictures of boats that had been docked that were, you know, then damaged because they didn't get them out of the water. And so you would never have thought that something that happened in Japan would make its way all the way over to the uh, East Coast or the West Coast of the United States. Sorry, I keep saying East Coast because I am from the East Coast and I live on the East Coast of the United States. And then I'm going to say this. I know that there was an earthquake in, uh, I think it was Virginia uh, a few years ago. Um, um, and that was felt for, I think, from Virginia up to Massachusetts. So you never know where the aftershocks are going to go and how to deal with them. I mean, hopefully if there was an earthquake in Vancouver, it would not hit, you'd not have sustainable damage in Toronto. However, you, you just don't know, you know, you hear that, hey, so in such and such city sits on a fault line and, you know, when it hits, it's going to be big. And then, you know, you think about it, you know, Canada is not building buildings to be earthquake proof. So what will happen to older buildings that are there or, you know, transportation lines, you know, you just don't know what Mother Nature can do when she decides to wreak havoc. Yeah, it's true, because uh, I know here where I live, buildings aren't built that way yeah. because earthquake is not a consideration. Right. However, you bring up an interesting point. With climate change, is that a reason for us to see beyond or, or fuel enough for us to see beyond the usual risk and, and climate impacts? Because we think of snowstorms here right? where I live. Okay, so I, I know what to do. I know, you know, I've, I'm <clears throat> prepared here at home. You know, right. for, uh, you know, in case something happens. However, your story with the tsunami, the tsunami in Japan and uh, the West Coast, I almost said East Coast, West Coast of U, uh, the U.S., is climate change now a reason for us to see beyond the, the usual because the interconnectedness and the globalization that we live in, we can now much more easily be impacted by a climate event halfway around the world. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that that does need to get looked at because I think the other thing is, is, you know, we can't know everything about everything. And I also just say that you need to get the local people to help you understand your risk landscape because I don't want to be Googling, you know, what's happening in Timbuktu. I mean, I'm never going to be an expert, but you locally on the ground will, will know more. And I think the other thing that's really impactful is to start and understand all this, Alex, because again, you know, if we're becoming a society that's not going to be returning to the office um, full time, how are we going to continue to operate if we have people working remotely in various parts of the world? And I think it's also important to start and understand, you know, where your employees are, because um, I know I'm talking more about the United States, and I think it's because it's where I live, but this happens everywhere. So when I give examples, I'm sure all of you who are listening can cite a local example of what's happening in your part of the world. But for example, a few years ago, also Georgia got hit. Uh, the greater Atlanta region had a severe um, ice storm. And again, you don't think of Atlanta getting hit with ice, and that is in the south of the United States. And again, they had cars parked on the side of the road frozen um, power lines, et cetera. So that's where I start and say, it is happening more 
frequently? And then how are they able to sustain their services? And if you've got people working remotely and they've got power lines that are down for days on end, how are you going to continue to run your business? Because you're not going to then say, you know what? We know that there's something that's impacting people in the greater Atlanta area. Come on to a relocation work area site that we have, we're going to set up and you can come here if you can even get here um, because of the roads are icy and the roads aren't treated. I, I know I'm not getting in my car and driving because <laughs> yeah. I don't want to crack up my car and get into an accident. So you got to start and think about your recovery solution in a whole different manner, Alex, than you would have done traditionally. And I think the other thing that really needs to get exercised is your workload transfer. I mean, are you able to transfer work from one site to another? And I think that's also an issue because in this day and age of trying to save money for organizations, they don't think about a follow the sun model. So I'm sure if you start and look at it, there are gaps there. And you know, when these events occur, they're bigger than the ones that we talk about that are your local ones. And so your impact is probably going to be bigger and longer than what you would have had for a normal event based on your geographic region. Yeah, it, it, you mentioned an interesting point there with people being spread out and all over. I'm doing some work right now, but the people I'm working for and the team I'm working with are on the other side of Canada, on the west, yeah. west side of Canada. So if something happens to me, well, how do I impact them? Yeah. If something happens to them, that leaves me alone. Right. You know, uh, can I pick up the work of four or five different people now who are impacted? We haven't got that far in that discussion yet, but, you know, it, it's a different way of thinking. Like, well, what can we do then? So, well, you know. and I'm going to say no, because, um, you know, we all are working at capacity and or beyond. And, you know, the other thing with call centers, I don't know about you, Alex, but I feel like when I, when I need to make a customer service call, I need to block out an hour of my time because it's not <laughs> just quickly pick up the phone and make that call. It's like, make the call, sit on the hold, uh, then get to talk to somebody. Then I get transferred, I get transferred to somebody else. And then they start to look at my issue. And so sometimes you're on the phone for 30 minutes or longer. And so I look at it, there's no extra bandwidth for people to take additional calls um, because they're probably already capacity already because today in a perfect world, I'm already got a hold time on a queue. Yeah, yeah, but the, those traditional data centers aren't really in existence right now. They're spread out all over the place. It's not just yeah. a bunch of rows of people, you know, sitting at a, at a, a small desk with a phone anymore. Yeah. yeah. On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Margaret Millett today on the topic of here comes climate change. It's all right for BC professionals. And we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fulick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device. 
including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Margaret Millett on this topic of Here Comes Climate Change. It's all right for BCP professionals. Margaret, lots of great information there in the first segment. Now I kind of want to ask you, um, what other opportunities are there for BC uh, professionals? Um, Because you made mention of policy and standards, and so I'm kind of, hmm, that's interesting. What, What did you mean by that? Well, um, I look at your policy and standard as your 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 go-to because um, everyone always says, "Well, where does it say that I have to go do this?" <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah. I look at it as if you if you put something in the policy and standard that starts to let people know that they are accountable for ensuring that their line of business, and when I say line of business, that means the not only the the line of business but also IT, that they are doing their due diligence when they're doing their day-to-day job or engaging with their vendors to ensure that they're starting to look at all the facets that need to be looked at in order to assume that they're going to be able to recover in the event something happens uh, as it relates to climate change. And I, I think it's also really important, Alex, to add some wording into your policy and standard, you know, the next time you've got an iteration coming out, which is hopefully annually, to start and just put in for, you know, your business continuity uh, director or whatever you call them as your volunteer network within your organization, or disaster recovery director, uh, that they have to start and think about this because what you don't want to have is something happens and then the, the executive management team turns to you and say, well, why weren't you looking at it? And again, you know, Mm -hmm. we are the ones that just provide the tools, templates, and methodology for the organization. We can't be the end-all, be-all and know everything about every line of business, every vendor, every application. So that's where if you start and put that wording in, um, you've got that accountability out to them that when they're doing that, and and also maybe, you know, if you do your annual sign-off and your plan update, maybe start and add in a line that says, you know, have you considered um, how climate impact, climate change is impacting your ability to do your business and recover in the event something happens and and make that a checkbox, yes, no, because then if something happens to that location, you can say, well, they said no, but yet it was part of the policy. Um, and, And the other thing that I think is important is to start thinking about this because 
there might be some solutions that you need to engineer. And do you need to get funding for that? Mm-hmm. You know, some things are cheap. Um, some things are bigger than a bread box expense. So you got to get it added to the budget. You may need to go get a new contract negotiated. So these are not quick solutions that need to be looked at. And I also recommend that everybody start keeping a tickler of how their vendors perform. Because mm-hmm. if your vendor is impacted across the globe, um, you know, because something is happening, is that really the valued business partner that you think that you have that's going to be there for you when times get tough? And so I think it's important to start to look at that uh, with your vendors and also potentially add in some wording on your contracts with your vendors that they have to do some due diligence at looking at that. Because I also will say, Alex, um, the force majeure contract clause, um, kind of laugh at it now. Um, Meaning, you know, 20 years ago, I look at it as, okay, we didn't have all the wherewithal that we have today. So when somebody says to me, they want to put that line item in a contract, I'm like, no, if you're providing what I'm going to call business continuity services to me, I expect you to have it nailed down that you're going to be able to recover and resume that business to support me. Um, That's why I'm engaging with you and going back and also ensuring that you have a great crisis communication plan between you and your vendors so that if something happens to them in some other part of the world, because again, there's probably some event taking place right now as I am talking to you, Alex, that's related to climate change that is impacting somebody and their line of business today, but it's not a big enough news item that it's going to hit all the major news rents. Therefore, um, especially since right now the big thing is um, the tornado that just touched down in Kentucky, that that's not going to surface. So therefore, you need to be ensuring that you understand how that vendor is working um, and that they're going to communicate to you if something happens because you don't want to be you know clicking on the submit button and realizing you can't because nobody told you that your services have been interrupted due to an event. So I still say that it's really understanding your relationship with your vendors adding in that contract language. And also when you're doing engagement with potential new vendors, start adding in some climate change questions to your vendor questionnaire. Um, I think that's really important as well. I think you you touched on uh, the force majeure and um, I started thinking of insurance as well. Some of these industries now are looking at climate change saying, if you're not doing something to address some of these climate change impacts, we're not insuring you. Or, yeah. we're, or you're not going to get what you think you're going to get. Well, and, and you touched on another great thing, you know, regardless of, um, you know, climate change, for those of you who are business continuity professionals, go out and talk to the people within your organization who negotiate the insurance rates for your organization. Because by saying that you do do business continuity exercises and disaster recovery tests and that you do get your plans updated annually, um, that is a check the box win for you as the organization. Um, I've often said to my senior management when I'm engaging with them, um, and I've worked for a lot of insurance companies, so my tagline has been like, I am your insurance policy. Um, Without us having the business continuity and disaster recovery plans, we will not be able to resume our line of businesses to provide the products that we provide to the public across the globe. So therefore, you know, leverage all the wonderful work that you've been doing and share that Mm -hmm. with your management team that you are helping to reduce premiums for not only what I'm going to say, your physical security uh, policies, but your cybersecurity policies and those types of things, because um, you should be able to get some savings for your organization. And also it's another line item to say the value of um, providing business continuity to the organization that you're saving the company money. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. 
if you've got executives that are only looking at the bottom line, right? And, and pitch it that way. Correct. Saving <laughs> me money. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll be money. listening then. Yeah. <laughs> you also talked about um, uh, some company responses, and you you mentioned four. Uh, phases here, I, I guess I would call them mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery. But to, to me, I'm, I'm just curious because when I hear those four, I think of emergency management. Yeah. So what, what were you talking about? Well, it's a little bit of that, Alex, because I look at, you know, we, we all work together, um, you know, no, no, you don't want to be a silo. So I, I think yeah. it is going back. Um, and like I said, if, if you've got some older buildings um, that, you know, you've had some issues with when that building is up for renewal, do you stay there or do you move and go to a newer building that's maybe got more um, sound preparedness in it? And, and, you know, no, is not going to have issues if, if an earthquake or whatever is going to happen. Um, I think it's looking at that and also looking at the risks within your organization. For example, you know, if you're not a global organization or even if you are, <clears throat> what policies do you have or, or guidelines do you have on how to deal with some of these things? Um, so, for example, if, if you're in a part of the world that maybe, you know, I'm just going to use earthquakes since we were talking about that. If you don't have a procedure on how to deal with an earthquake in your organization, maybe now is the time that you start and look at, you know, what are your known risks? that you have, what are the other risks that could be happening because of climate change, add those in. And when you write your, your guides on how to deal with these events, write, start and write in some of these, because again, you know, exercising has shown that that's the 80, 20 rule. If you exercise with your staff, they're going to remember 80% of what to do and forget the other 20%. But if you then start and do those drills with them, they'll remember it. So that's where I'm saying, Put it down as to what those other new phenomenons are that you aren't. Put down those guidelines and help them um, so that they start and understand what they need to do in order to fix that for them. And then, as I also said, it's making sure that you're looking at how this is going to impact your employees because, um, you know, there's been a huge increase, as we know, on um, health issues. And so what do you need to do in order to help your employees deal with things. You know, we've had an increase in mental health issues um, and, and, you know, family issues um, as it relates to COVID. But what about your physical health uh, as we deal with some of these climate change things? Because for example, you know, is your breathing going to be impacted? Um, and how do we deal with that? Do we start and maybe, you know, um, figure out whether it's, it's the right place for you to, to be, meaning, you know, if you've got asthma, you know, should we evaluate the, the air quality control within our buildings? Because again, older buildings don't have the world's greatest ventilation systems. So what do we try and do in order to make these buildings um, the right place and a safe work environment for our employees? Or what health clinics can we do? What can we do to help our employees? Um, you know, I look at it, we, we, we haven't been boots on the ground in an office, but you know, you know luckily, you know, the COVID-19 vaccine has been free um, to, to everyone around the globe. But, you know, traditionally the, the flu vaccine, you've had to either get it for free or you've got to go and sometimes you've had to pay for it. But these past few years, they've been free. So what else can we continue to offer our employees on site to make life easier for them? Or if they're not going into the office, how can we say, here's a voucher, go to your local drugstore or go to your wherever to go get these things that are going to help you um, so that you're going to ensure that they're going to be able to continue to work with you and not have to worry about how do I go get X because everybody else around me is trying to get X as well. Mm -hmm. 
It's interesting you mentioned the uh, mental health aspect there. Um, with COVID, people have been impacted, whether they lost their job, didn't lose their job, parents or single parents, even friends sometimes, yeah. or, or older siblings became teachers yeah. and caregivers uh, to different people while trying to still do some work to, and yet around them, they're still experiencing major thunderstorms, the yeah. tornadoes that just occur, um, other climate change events. So it, it seems climate change has now become one of the biggest influencers because it influences more than we thought it did. You know, a lot of times when we think of hurricanes, oh, it just destroys buildings. Yeah. But now our thinking is changing. We're saying, well, no, it, it's destroying buildings, but there's a ripple effect yes. to other areas now. Yes. I, I know I'm simplifying it, so please don't send me any emails you know, <laughs> about things. I'm simplifying it for argument's sake. So if we no, don't consider... everything has a downstream effect, Alex, um, <clears throat> you know, it's not just, you know, I look at it when these things happen, like you said, it, it then impacts the community. And, you know, that means then you're right, you're back to homeschooling children because the, the school may have a torn roof, um, you're not going in. So even if we go back to what I'm going to say, a normal way of life after COVID-19, you know, you're going to be back to how to deal with that. And then, you know, the other thing that, um, you know, I've been hearing about in the United States um, that, for example, you know, children in the future may not know what a snow day is because of the fact that, you know, mm. you can just go do a Zoom class where, you know, I always remember, you know, my mother coming in saying, you know, go back to bed. You don't have school today when we had a snowstorm. I know. And, I remember those too. I loved it. Yeah. And, and so, um, <laughs> you know, if you then like get up kids and just log on to your Zoom class, you know, yeah. um, so I think it's, again, you know, what's going to be the norm of how to deal with all of this, how to deal with it. And then, you know, like I said, the, the, these events are going to have the, the mental health side to it. And I think that, you know, this is one area that I think that all organizations struggle with is how do you cross, how do you deal with that fine line of providing the right services to, to people? And then the fact that, you know, we, we've heard enough articles and read enough information about how, you know, some people's home setup is not ideal for dealing with, you know, children doing online learning, and especially if you've got children at various ages, different schools, um, mm -hmm. competing internet, you know, broadband, and then you're working, your spouse is working, your significant other. Um, and then, you know, you've now also maybe have to deal with animals. Um, you know, you're not dealing with a dog walker anymore because you're all at home. So therefore somebody's got to let the dog out at 10 a.m. Um, how do you then continue to deal with all of that plus still do your job and everything. And also if you're impacted personally and then you're waiting for contractors to come or you got to go clean out water out of your basement and still try and get your work life going. Yeah, that's a lot to deal with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, my, you mentioned the three different kids you know, or different kids anyway with different needs and things. My best friend has three kids uh, and when they're doing online schools, they're all online learning. They're in all over the place. Yeah. You know, in different parts of the house. And while he's in another spot trying to work as well, yeah. then they had uh, they were having a snowstorm last year and the communications were going off and on. And he spent a lot of time trying to fix all the problems of the kids rather than yeah. actually trying to get any work done when he could log on. Yeah. So he goes, here's the snow, it's snowing outside. And he goes, and I'm spending more time, you know, uh, trying to fix issues with connectivity. Than, yeah. than clearing the snow the snow off the sidewalk or anything. So yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So let's we we only have uh, about eight minutes or so left. What are some of the takeaways? You know, uh, some of the things that um, we could start doing and working on and focusing on in our organizations as BC professionals. Um, I think there's four things, Alex, um, that come to my mind right now, and and you know others. Hopefully, I've got the wheels spinning in your head as well. But it is, like I said, starting to take a look at your risk assessment, adding in those future risks that you know are not part of your everyday risk with, for your organization. Or if you do have an extensive list, start and talk to folks about, you know, okay, these are your known risks, but what else has been happening locally that you need to now consider? Because I look at looking at the the risk assessment as three buckets now, your, your known risk, your future risk that relate to climate change. And then, as I said, that, that, that one year event, meaning, you know, you're hosting a world event, you've got some construction, you're doing an office move. How do you then explain, look at the risk through that lens? And then making sure that you then start to incorporate some of that into your your BIA because they may need to start and say, based on some of these priorities, you know, if, if things are happening, do I have a difference on how I need to evaluate my business processes um, and my recovery strategies based on, you know, being able to support these lines of business? And I want to say also going back to the, the policy, um, you know, I look at everything in my career as crawl, walk, run. You can't get to the end point without, you know, taking the right steps to get there. But put the language in today just to say you have to be mindful of business continuity and climate change and how it relates to your line of business. And then as your organization starts to define what that culture will be, you can add more language year after year. Uh, And again, make sure that the others within your organization are also accountable for this because you don't want the weight of climate change impacting your business on your shoulders. You want it on everyone's shoulders. And metrics. I say this because everybody likes to see those pretty little reports that say red, yellow, green. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to start and show your executive management, what are those known risks that you have as concerns for the future? Because if you're seeing a lot of people say that they're really concerned about um, tsunamis, hypothetically, well, then, you know, you really got to say to executive management, we got to evaluate everything under the lens of looking at how a tsunami is going to impact us, look at it, share it with the facilities folks, find out if we've got the right things, share it with your health and safety folks, do those exercises and start and show that with it. And also start and prepare for it because it may be that, you know, again, you need some money to go do some funding. You may need to start and look at some of the vendors and how they're impacting you. Do maybe do a vendor scorecard with your vendor management team to say, here are the vendors that we think are, you know, A, B, C, D, and E. And just because you got a big name vendor doesn't necessarily mean that they have their house in order either. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'd say, you know, start and look at that and share that data with your management team and then start again year after year saying, okay, we, we know that tsunami has been a concern. This part of the world, we've started to do the extra started. We started to prepare for it because what you want to then hopefully, again, Hopefully you're not going to have to exercise. Uh, you're exercising, but you're not going to have to activate. But again, you're ready for it. And then I think the other thing is starting to figure out how much it would cost if something happened. Um, I'm going to use the simple math. There are 365 days out of the year. So if you lose a million dollars a day, you can say, hey, by this preparedness, we may have mitigated losing a million dollars a day to $500,000 because we were able to get the business back up and running. And then I look at it as $500,000. How many FTEs did that buy you to say that you saved the company $500,000 for a line of business? Mm-hmm. So I think that's where you then have to start and figure out what the dollar impact is and how you're saving the company money. 
is that information, especially those metrics you're sharing, should you share that with everybody or just leadership and board of directors? You know, because I, um, because I you, you mentioned, uh, I just wanted to, to mention that because you said, you know, it should be on everybody's shoulders. So I'm just kind of wondering with metrics, should we share that as well with everyone? Yeah, I'd say so because again, I'm going to look at it. If you're running a line of business and and you and and I and you know you're you're not scoring great, it's, I think that executive management will then be like, hey, what's Alex doing to mitigate that? And you know, you don't. I I look at it as I never want to throw anybody under the bus, and so it's better that you know we're sharing this wealth. And then, you know, also I I didn't touch upon it, Alex, but I also really feel that risk findings are a great way to track you know what's also happening because. Some things may be like, hey, you need to just update your documentation. But when I mentioned before about certain things that might need contract renewal or, or you know, considering relocating to another office or something or changing vendors, um, that's something that may need to get tracked because it's 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 got a long process to get it through to completion. And I think by also saying that you have risk findings associated with some of the things that are concerns then that also gets shared with your audit committee. And then that also escalates to the board. And then you are signing off on that risk finding. Therefore, you also have taken the accountability of owning that risk. We have two minutes left. Uh, could you take a minute, minute and a half with any final thoughts, anything, uh, last uh, comments you'd like to convey? Sure. Um, well, one, thank you, Alex, for having me on. I look forward to maybe being on on a future um, session with you, but you know, I. I say this, I know that, um, you know, some people say there is no such thing as climate change and, and I'm okay, you know, cause I, not everybody agrees with it, but I do have to stop and say, you know, you look back, if you've been in this profession for a while, um, start and just put to pencil paper uh, or, you know, Excel worksheet, what's happened to you in your career, whether it be your current employer or past employers. And hopefully you'll start to plot out that this actually has been existing or think about how it's impacting your vendors or, you know, just look at the news every day. Um, you know, chances are you could write down every day. It's something that is impacting um, a part of the world that you could somehow probably start and tie it back down to climate change. Maybe not daily, but I'm sure that if you start and look that you'll see something that's trending weekly or monthly or something. And so that's when I say, um, you know, you're building your own justification just by looking at the news every day and seeing what's happening around the globe. And mm -hmm. again, just because you're maybe working for one employer today, you don't know where your career path is going to take you. So having that information to share, whether it be your current employer or a future employer, will be of um, a sound investment of your time of taking that and trying to track it and share with your management teams that something is happening that you and your organization need to be prepared because that's the beauty of business continuity management. You prepare in advance so that when something happens, it's going to be still a challenge, but it will be smoother knowing that you plan for it. And for the longest time, uh, our focus was response. Yep. But that that meant you weren't doing anything until, you know, after an event, which right. might help you in some respects, but doesn't help you in many others because no one knows what's what's what to do. Right. So it's good to prepare so that response is better. Yeah. Margaret, thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us today. I really appreciate uh, you uh, being here and coming uh, to talk to us again for a second time. And uh, yeah, I hope there will be a third time. Again, thank you, Alex. My pleasure. Uh, thanks again for joining us and everybody listening and watching. Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
We'll see you here next week.